Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here ends the Bible reading. Great. Uh, do keep that open in front of you, page 808, and uh, I'm just going to open this passage up to us. And as we begin doing that, why don't we pray that God would speak to us. If we believe that this is God's word, then I believe that he has a message for each of us this morning. Let's pray that God talks to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we want to hear from you personally, powerfully. We want real change. So show us your son again, that in his face we might see what you are truly like and what we are truly like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're thinking about real change this morning, and I think this passage is a fantastic story about real change. In this story, we go from human failure to heaven's family. Uh, you couldn't have a, a bigger change in mind. You have this bunch of people who uh, arrive at the Jordan River, and essentially what you have here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 3 is you have the failures convention. Uh, 
Uh, it doesn't sound like it should be very popular, does it? The failures convention. Come one, come one, come all. You must be a loser. Um, I didn't see any signs on the way in at St. Joseph's saying losers convention. You know, you've got to be a real screw up to come here to St. Joseph's, right? Actually, every church is the failures convention. Did you know that? That's, that's what we're meant to be. We are a community of the baptized, a community of those who say that we need a wash. That's what's going on here at the Jordan River. There are people in verse 5 who are coming from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan. They were going out to this wild and woolly preacher, John the Baptist, and he was giving them a ritual bath, giving them a cleansing on the outside. Because the, the understanding was that this cleansing on the outside points to an inner cleansing that all of us need. According to the Bible, all of us need to take a bath A bath on the inside. Have you ever wanted that? Have you ever wanted a a power shower on the inside? I've got a friend who does some uh, marriage counseling, and he spoke to a man who had made some terrible decisions in his life that had ruined his marriage, ruined his family, ruined his business. And this man said to my friend, I wish I could take my whole life, put it in a big washing machine, put it on the hottest wash until all the grit and the grime is gone. Have you ever wanted that? ever wanted that, that real cleansing, that inner power shower? That's what these guys want, and, and so they come to the Jordan River to have the external bath, a bath that points to an internal cleansing. So in verse 6, they were baptized by John in the River Jordan, confessing their sins, just getting honest, getting honest about the darkness that is in here. Are you able to be honest about the darkness that is in here? You know, it's very easy in the world to point at what's wrong with the world out there, right? There's a lot of darkness out there in the world. We can all agree that there's a lot of darkness out there. But what about what's in here? See, the Bible's got this uncomfortable truth to tell about us. It tells us that the the world is dark out there because of what I'm like in here. There's this real organic connection between my internal darkness and this external darkness in the world. I don't really know how to explain it, but I think we, we know about it. We, we know that there's something wrong out there, and we know that that finds a mirror in our own hearts. Let me tell you two stories about it that, that make me see the connection between this stuff in here and that stuff out there. Uh, the first is a trivial example, the second is quite serious. But the, the trivial example is I was preaching at a church in, uh, in Eastbourne where I live. It's not my, my uh, usual church that I go to. And uh, I had an experience that none of us have had this morning uh, because we've had uh, terrific music uh, this morning. Not so at this other church uh, in Eastbourne. Uh, they were all um, triers. Let's, let's say they were triers. They were, they were trying very, very hard and perhaps a little too hard in a, in a number of cases. And I found myself trying my hand at telepathy. Do you ever try your hand at telepathy? Um, because I, w- I was just trying to send a message to the guy on the PA desk. Uh, there was a particular singer, and I just wanted the guy on the PA desk, turn him down, please, and I meant this in its original sense, please, for the love of God, turn him down, because there was just this discordant note that was happening for every single song, it was like a cacophony, and I couldn't understand why the guy at the back wasn't turning down this 
one singer. And so it went song after song after song and me trying my hand at telepathy. And apparently I'm no good at it because on the cacophony went until after the sermon. It just got so terrible. And I, I actually like turned back and gave one of those looks. I, I don't know if the PA desk, if, you, if you're used to people doing that, but, but trying to, yeah, sometimes, yeah, trying. <laughs> not with these guys. Not with the, yeah, no, not with these guys. But, you know, with, with another band, with another band. And, but as I was doing that, there was this voice somewhere in the back of my head that was just very clearly saying to me, Glenn, look down. I don't know why I started to think, Glenn, look down. But I looked down, and, and there was my lapel mic still on me from the sermon that I'd just given. And I looked down on my belt to the, uh, the battery pack, and yep, the light was still on. The cacophonous voice was mine, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Throughout the entire church service, I was saying, what a dreadful discordant voice that is. And you know, it was mine all along. And you just think, how often am I like that in real life? I look out of the world and I, and I see discordant voices, right? I, I hear cacophony. And I think, it's that guy, it's that guy, it's that guy. No, it's you, Glenn. And I wonder if you can relate to that, you know, what do they say? For every finger you point at somebody else, three fingers pointing straight back at you. There's discord out in the world, there's discord in you. What are we going to do about that? These guys are just getting honest about it, confessing their sins. That was the silly example, let me give you a much more serious example. I was in Poland a couple of years ago and we decided to visit Auschwitz and you can still Take the tour, it's one of the most harrowing ways you can spend a day. And I remember entering into uh, the one room in Auschwitz where you are not able to take photographs because it still has human remains in it. It has tons and tons of human hair. The room is called the exploitation of the corpses because the Nazis wanted to eke out the very last penny worth of their victims. And so they would shave their heads and there was the human hair and there are the spectacles and there are the shoes. And, and you're just confronted by this conveyor belt of evil, absolute evil. And, and I just had the experience of two phrases just occurring to me so strongly that I actually had to voice them. I actually had to say these two phrases out loud because the, the feeling was just so thick in the room. And, and, and the first one, perhaps I won't share it with you because it's a, sort of a mild swear word, but I think, I think if, you were, if you were in Auschwitz, you would have said this mild swear word too. It, I just kept saying, you bees, you bees. I, don't know, I, I probably shouldn't say what the word is, but it, it, had, it has how many letters? A-S-T-A-R-D-S, eight letters in it. And I just kept saying, and you would say it too. If you saw this conveyor belt of evil, you would, you would look at the Nazi evil and you would say, you bees, you bees, you total bees. But then there was another phrase that kept on occurring to me, and I, and I had to say it as well, under my breath. And the second phrase was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I couldn't stop myself saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you think, well, why am I saying sorry? I, I didn't do anything. I, was, I wasn't there. This was decades before I was even born. Am I, am I part of that evil somehow? Am I? Every other person in our tour group, they felt the same way. There was the pointed finger, and then there was the contrite heart. There was the accusation, yes, there's darkness out there, and then there's the admission, and there's darkness in here too. And I don't know how this is connected to that. I don't know how it works, 
But I think we all know when we feel it. We all know when we, we, we just say that thing to the person we love more than anyone else in the world. Who's the person you love more than anyone else in the world? I bet you hurt them more than you hurt anyone else. Well, that's, that's quite a thing, isn't it? I thought you loved them. What are you like? See, I, I say I love my wife more than anyone else on planet Earth, and yet the things that I can say to her, such hurtful things, and in those moments I want to say, oh, honey, I'm sorry, I don't know what came over me. Nothing came over me. It all came out of me. It all came out of somewhere very, very deep and dark and ancient. The Bible says you and I are part of this human problem. Here, here's the human failure that these guys are owning up to. And they come to the Jordan River and they're just getting honest. Are you honest about the state of your heart? Because actually this chapter gets pretty serious. John starts talking about what we are like. We are like trees that are bearing bad fruit. Right? That, that's what we're like. That's, that's why when I say that evil thing, nothing has come over me. It's all come out of me. I'm a tree that bears bad fruit. And the bad things that I've done in my life, they, they're just witness to the fact that I, I am a bad tree. You know, David Hamilton, he was not very good at pruning back his bad fruit. Okay? And the law caught up with him, and he was sent away for, for 28 years. He was not very good at pruning back his bad fruit. You might be better at pruning back your bad fruit. But you're still a bad tree, right? Some of us would, would never be seen dead doing any of the things, or even thinking any of the things that David Hamilton managed to get up to in his youth. But that's just because you're better at pruning. You're still a bad tree. I'm still a bad tree. And the things you say to the people you love the most, they, that just proves the case, right? We're, we're, we're very much like uh, Christmas trees, I think. And that's kind of the picture that John is giving to us. In, in verse 8, he talks about bearing fruit. And then in verse 10, he talks about the, the axe is laid to the roots. John is saying, you know, you, you and I, we're like trees, but we're fruitless trees, what a useless thing, a fruitless tree. It's just good for firewood, right? That's, that's the human condition. So we are like these Christmas trees. Think of the story of a Christmas tree. In, in November, a woodsman goes into a, a pine forest, and in the name of Christmas joy, what does he do? He hacks to death this poor thing, right? And wrenches it from its natural habitat. The moment he cuts down that tree, it's dead, isn't it? The moment he cuts it down, it's dead and it's perishing. But we bring it indoors, don't we? And we kind of cover it in all sorts of bling, all sorts of decorations and tinsel and baubles. And we surround it with festivities and food and fun and we keep on celebrating. And... But the tree is perishing, right? And the needles start to drop and you think, oh, never mind, we'll just hoover those up. And then bits of brown start to show and you think, oh, we'll just move the tinsel over the top. We'll keep the show on the road, right? We'll keep celebrating. Until at some point in January, what do, you, what do you do to a Christmas tree? Chuck it out, compost heap, right? And see, in the, in the Old Testament, God's people were called a vine. But you know, a, a fruitless vine, what's it good for? It's just, it's just good for burning. That's, that's all it's good for. You can't make furniture out of it. If it's not going to be fruitful, you just, you just chuck it out. You put it on the fire. And here is this fearful reality. John the Baptist comes and he says, you know, humanity is unclean and it is, it is unfruitful. It is fit for judgment. Sometimes that judgment is spoken of, of in fiery terms. Sometimes it's spoken of as, as an outer darkness or being lost, being shut out of the feast. There's all sorts of different pictures for it. 
But the Bible says the judgment is real. We do not have life within us. We don't have a spiritual, vital connection to God, our life source. And because we're not vitally connected to God, then, then of course, if we're disconnected from life, we are the living dead. Of course we are. If we've turned from the light, then of course we are in darkness. If we've turned from the God of love, then of course we are in disconnection. And you don't want to get stuck there, do you? You don't want to run the clock on this kind of dark, disconnected, living death. You, you don't want to keep that going, do you? Because the Bible says we all keep going. We all keep going even beyond our death. You don't want to keep going in that, do you? Well, praise God that there's a solution to the failures convention. Praise God that there's, there's an answer to this disconnected humanity. There is a son of the father. There is someone from a heavenly family who comes to join us in our human failures. That's what verse 13 is all about. You see verse 13? The heading says the baptism of Jesus. So fascinating. There is John at the failures convention and he keeps saying, watch out, the judge of the world is going to come. The judge of the world is going to come. It's going to be a fiery time of judgment. Here comes here comes the pure, perfect Son of God. And what do we see in verse 13? The perfect, pure Son of God came from Galilee, where he grew up, to Jordan, that's near Jerusalem, to John, to be baptized by him. Now, that's a real shock of a verse, actually, verse 13. Because think of all the different ways that verse could run. It could say, Jesus came to the Jordan River in order to judge all the filthy sinners. And I guess that would be a fair cop, right? They're at the failures convention. They're all confessing to their sins, okay? They've got their hands up. Fair cop, all right. Here comes the judge of the world. He could just judge the filthy sinners. But it doesn't say that. And it doesn't say, it doesn't say Jesus came to the Jordan to John to baptize everybody else. That'd be a lovely verse, wouldn't it? Jesus comes, he sees all the people in their uncleanness, and he says, let me give you a bath. Wouldn't that be lovely? be a lovely verse. It's not what that says, though, is it? You know what happens? Jesus comes to the failures convention. He joins the queue of the unclean people, and he takes a bath alongside all these other messy sinners. What do you call that? I call that a public relations disaster for Team Jesus, don't you? If, he, if he's trying to present himself to the world as the perfect, pure son of God, why does he join the failures convention. Why does he queue up alongside all these other dark, messy, filthy sinners? Why does he take a bath alongside all these other human failures? See, John, John doesn't quite get it himself. Verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm going to join you in your failure so you can join me in my family. And that's really the explanation for the whole Bible. It's what explains this scene in Matthew chapter 3. It's what explains the, the entirety of Matthew's gospel. It's what in, explains the whole of the Bible. You know what the whole of the Bible is? Jesus comes from the heavenly family into our human failures so that we who are human failures can join his heavenly family. You see, it starts here with the baptism. Jesus rubbing shoulders with all the other messy people. 
It's actually the fulfillment of a prophecy that's 700 years old. In Isaiah, it says that the Messiah would come and be numbered alongside all the other transgressors, numbered alongside all the other messy sinners. So here he comes, the son of the father who becomes our brother. He joins a very dysfunctional human family, doesn't he? Here we are, part of this dysfunctional human family with all our bad fruit, And he becomes our brother. He's not ashamed to be called our brother. And he joins us in our mess. If you were to keep on reading through Matthew's gospel, you'd see the way that Jesus shows up in the midst of all our mess to be with us, to be for us. Because that's what love does, right? When when love sees the beloved in trouble, what does love do? You know, if you're in a pit and I see you in a pit, I'm going to say your pit will be my pit, right? If you're in trouble, I'm going to say, you know what, friend, your trouble will be my trouble. Maybe if I really love you and you're in debt, what am I going to say? Your debt will be my debt. Who is Jesus? He's the son of the father who sees us in our pit. And he says, your darkness will be my darkness. and Your death will be my death. And your spiritual debts They will be my spiritual debts. Jesus keeps going after the baptism. He doesn't just just join us at the failures convention. He goes all the way to the cross, where at the end of Matthew's gospel, he takes on that darkness on the cross. He takes on that death. He takes on that disconnection. He takes on that fiery judgment that John had been talking about. He takes it all on because that's what love does, right? Do you know that you've been loved? Do you know that you've been loved to hell and back? Jesus loves you with every drop of, your, of his blood. Jesus loves you. He took your plight. He took your pit. He took your debts. And then he rises up and he, and he says to us who have confessed our sins, he says, look, you in the darkness, do you want my light? You in disconnection, do you want my love? You in death, do you want my life? And anyone who simply says yes to Jesus, do you know what you get? You get an invitation into the heavenly family. What's this heavenly family that I keep talking about? Well, it's it's verses 16 and 17. Here's the family that you were made for. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. I wonder what you would see if you saw heavens open. In England, that means rain, right? The heavens opened means rain, right? In the Bible, it's a literal thing, right? It's about peering back behind the curtain, seeing ultimate reality. What is it to see ultimate reality? You know what you see if you see ultimate reality? You see a family, a family of love. The heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. See, that's the heavenly family you were born to belong to. That's the heavenly verdict you crave to hear. You know, when David spoke of his mother telling him he's a hopeless case, Did you feel your own heart go, ah, just imagine it, that that parental verdict on your life to say, hopeless case, you won't amount to anything. 
Perhaps you have a, a father or a mother who said words like that to you. You know why they hurt so much? They hurt so much because you are meant to hear this. You're meant, to, you're meant to hear, this is my child who I love. With you, I am well pleased. You are meant to hear that. And you think, well, how can I hear that? You know, I, I, I thought I was a mess. I thought I was unclean. I thought I was unfruitful. I thought I was a Christmas tree headed for the compost heap. And Jesus says, yeah, you were. But real change is possible. He became what you are in all your failure so that you can become what he is, the beloved of the Father. Don't you love this statement from the Father? This is my son who I love. With him I am well pleased. It just, just booms from heaven, doesn't it? This, this parental pride and joy. I, I often think with this verse of, uh, do you remember the 2012 Olympics? Do you remember Bert Laclosse? Um, perhaps as I describe him to you, you'll start to remember him. Bert Laclosse is a South African father. And his son was Chad Laclosse, a South African swimmer who, uh, uh, who was competing in the Olympics. He was just a teenager at the time. And, and Chad Laclosse, he won the 200-meter butterfly. He beat his childhood hero, Michael Phelps, to win the gold medal. So he got the gold medal, beat Michael Phelps, got the world record. It's pandemonium in the pool. And Claire Balding from the BBC, she, she picked up a, a microphone and she went to find his dad to talk to the proudest father you've ever seen in your life, right? And uh, YouTube this later. Go, go, go and search for it online. But, but Chad, uh, Bert Laclosse, rather, is, uh, is being interviewed by Claire Balding. And she's trying to conduct a normal interview, but it's not going to be a normal interview because he's just so full of pride and praise and love and joy. And she says, so, has it been a long journey to London 2012? And Bert Laclosse says, oh, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Look at my boy. I love him. Mwah, mwah. <laughs> <laughs> And Claire's just trying to get the conversation back on track and just say, you know, has butterfly always been his stroke? And so, oh, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. He says the word unbelievable nine times in 90 seconds, which is unbelievable itself. You know, oh, he's unbelievable. And he keeps on calling him, my beautiful boy, my beautiful. And then he, then he catches sight of himself in the, in the TV screen. And he's like, oh, not me, I'm fat. But him, he's a beautiful boy. Beautiful boy. Just this pride and praise and joy. You know, this verse says that when you look into heaven you see an almighty Bert Laclosse. And you are Chad, right? You are the beautiful one, right? You are unbelievable, right? How? Because of you? No, because of Jesus. Jesus has always been the unbelievable son of the Father, right? Who the Father has always loved and poured his spirit onto. And now Jesus joins you in your failure so you can join him in his family. You know what you need to do? It's very simple. You just need to get honest, like these guys here. You need to confess your sins. You need to say, I'm a mess. I need that shower on the inside. I'm a mess. But Jesus, let me be your mess. Will you, will you have me? And Jesus will say, absolutely, I will have you. And when you have Jesus, you get his father as your father. And you get his spirit as your spirit. And you get his future as your future. It's for free and it's forever. So do you want Jesus? Well, that's me done. It's a great chapter, isn't it? Matthew 3. Real change from human failure to a heavenly family. 
is that a change that you need to make? Is there some confessing that you need to do? I'm not going to lead you in a prayer because most of you are grown-ups. You can talk to God about this. But in a second, I'm just going to ask us all to bow our heads and, and I want you to do business with God. And, and maybe, maybe the business with God is something along the lines of, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I want Jesus. I want to be your son, your daughter. I want you to fill me with your spirit. Walk with me through this life and bring to me that real change. Let's all bow our heads and let's be quiet. And in a minute, someone will lead us in some out loud prayers.